Cody is smiling like a Wallace and Gromit anime character. Just keep smiling. <laughs> because we're probably live already and we just don't know it. Setting up our meeting for Facebook Live. We are. Oh, well, I guess we should start then. This is Scott Smith, Mary Reed, and Cody Reed. And tonight, our uh, general idea is to talk about the Stroud of Turn. But um, it's as you, if any, if even any of you have dug into the Stroud of Turn, like it is endless. There is so much evidence behind it. So we'll, uh, you know, not to make a Shroud pun, but just scratch the surface of it. Um, also, I know, uh, Mary was saying, uh, we will also try and touch on some of our, uh, you know, ongoing coronavirus cabin fever, um, avoidance techniques. Um, but, uh, before, uh, we get into any of that, anybody, uh, any topics about this trout or just any, you know, any, uh, thoughts y'all want to cover real fast before we dig in. Well, I will definitely say that I'm not an expert. My only real experience of studying it was a History Channel documentary, which we know how um, reliable that is. So, Aliens created it. <laughs> Aliens. Was that their theory? There's uh, nothing no, like it was actually pretty good. That one, I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, but it was, uh, I forget the exact title. It was attempt to reconstruct a 3D model from the Shroud. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was actually pretty, I want to say faithful, but I mean, it was faithful to the evidence. Well, right. yeah. we go too people. far into it, uh, we, should, we should really explain what the Shroud of Turin is first uh, for yeah. some of our viewers that may not know. Yeah, that's a good point. And we're going to be covering not just the Shroud of Turin, but the Shroud of Oviedo, Oviedo. and other, all sorts of other um, historical shrouded artifacts. Things. So, yeah, shrouded nerdery. So, uh, Shroud of Turin um, is believed to be the uh, wrappings, the burial wrappings of Christ as he lay in the tomb. Um, some also suspect it was a, the altar cloth or tablecloth from the Last Supper. Um, but, you know, that's, there's, you know, that's really, can't determine that. Um, the, the, there's five basic areas that We'll try to go over tonight. Um, there, uh, in terms of analyzing the shroud for its uh, the various evidence it contains. Uh, so the first and, and probably the biggest is image analysis of the shroud, mm -hmm. um, how it renders uh, as a three dimensional image. Yeah, um, how it uh, has how we haven't been able to recreate it and how we can't recreate it. And apparently it's the only image of its kind that has done that. Like, it, it's the only 
3D image that has been imprinted on on cloth. Which is, what's the word? Miraculous. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's like so, it was saying how like the nose is darker because it would be touching the cloth and like things that are farther from the cloth are, cloth are paler and like no, no yeah. photographic imaging has the ability to do that where like it captures the image but also captures like depth of like what the cloth is touching mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Like that's well, there's a specific machine, the VP8 um, machine, that we'll go into that uh, that does that analysis. Um, and I mean, there's some very sophisticated techniques at play yeah. here. Um, so, they, they've been doing research on this thing since 1978, right? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, since before then, but the uh, sure. the, the start was in 1978, and they've been doing like updated research on this thing that dates back um it can be traced physically back to the 1300s i believe is what they said now we can date it back to 30 a.d because uh through writings and script and different uh references through the holy fathers um but the first physical evidence of it was from like the 1300s right like the first historical provenance right. for it right and and we'll talk about how even uh father robert spitzer and others talk about how uh there's really cause to put it back much further than that yeah uh, in right. terms of provenance not yeah. just radiocarbon dating but so yeah so like the five um areas of evidence that i would group into is the image analysis um, the, uh, the analysis of the blood, mm-hmm. uh, pollen would be number three. Yeah. Um, the various dating techniques, cause there's much more than just radiocarbon dating, you know, carbon 14 dating. Um, and then the characteristics of the cloth itself, which in no particular order though, the cloth is, uh, uh, that would be probably the least, um, sexy of the five of those uh, when we're talking uh, about just bulk of information out there and just amazingness um so yeah do y'all um what mary was saying before well mary and cody were saying before is that the cloth um it renders as a a three-dimensional image and when i say renders as a three-dimensional image i mean um the uh, the U.S. government, our military developed the it's the VP8 image analyzer, and it was used to create from aerial, satellite, uh, or even telescopic surveys of planetary surfaces. Like it was first developed to study the surface of the moon, mm-hmm. and our photographs of the moon's surface, this put under this image analyzer would create a three-dimensional um, topographical image from a photograph of topography, right? A photograph of three-dimensional image would render as a 3D, like, computer image, okay? Uh, now, if you do that, like Mary was saying, if you use the, the VP8 analyzer for a normal photograph, it's just going to be gobbledygook, it's not going to render as... <laughs> Time out. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge that Scott just said gobbledygook? That's a scientific term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it just it won't, it won't render properly. It'll just be a mess. 
Uh, mess is a shorter uh, synonym for gobbledygook. Ah, got it. <laughs> we can follow that one better. <laughs> terms. And well, and far more so if you were to put uh, a painting uh, under this image analyzer, it wouldn't make any sense at all. It would be even le- it would have even less um, data uh, presented than a photograph. Because that's ultimately what people um, that want to present the shroud as a hoax are going to argue is that it was a painting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Cody, you were ta- talking about the iron oxide. Do you want to? Yeah. Would you want I mean, obviously, you, you've done more research into this uh, than, than I have for sure. Um, but one of the things that, that that we're looking at with the iron oxide is uh, iron oxide is something that's common in especially red paint. Um, and so they found traces of iron oxide on the Shroud of Turin back in uh, 1978 when, when Sterp was doing the, uh, the research on the Shroud. And uh, what was curious about it is that they found it in places that the image was not. Right. And so they were trying to figure out why would this be the case? Why would there be iron oxide on this cloth where there's no image? And come to find out uh, what uh, a a traditional Catholic practice is that we touch holy items or things that we want to be made into holy items to truly holy items, uh, to first class relics in order to make them third class relics. Right. Uh, And. Which oh, no, I guess would, blood would be a first class. Blood relic. would be a first class relic, okay. yeah. So of Jesus. Of Jesus. Of Jesus. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, what would happen is all these artists that, that painted the Shroud of Turin or they, they painted the images of Christ would go and touch their image to this image, right? Wherever they could. And little molecules of red iron oxide would fall off onto the cloth. So uh, it, it's just it that's that's what they kind of discovered through it is that that's the best guess as to why the iron oxide is there. But initially some scientists having found the iron oxide were like, it's painted. It's a painting, you know, just published that without doing their due diligence and, and that the image itself is not iron oxide. Right. And that if it were paint, there would be pigment present like the iron oxide, but that it would penetrate deep into the cloth. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and this is a good meta note that the image of the shroud penetrates its very thin layer um, into the fabric of the cloth, mm-hmm. like um, like uh, I think like a micrometer, like extremely uh, short. The the image burst, which we'll describe later, uh, upcoming, it um, did not penetrate the fibers much at all. Um, now the blood obviously would have. But yeah, so that's, you know, the hoax theory is that iron oxide pigment from painting, um, that it was from the 1300s based on radiocarbon dating of areas that were replaced on the shroud. Um, The shroud, you know, what Cody was saying with our historical provenance is that some of our first historical knowledge of the shroud is when it was in a fire. Um, But that was in 1525, 1535, I have that... um, I'll probably come across that exact date later. And uh, you can see the way the the shroud is folded for most of its history, it was folded so just the face was showing. And they, uh, in the fire, there was a a silver candlestick that actually, the fire got so hot 
that liquid silver melted onto the shroud. And so the burn mark penetrated through the shroud. So when you unfold it, it's like several holes throughout the thing that have been replaced by newer cloth, different weave, all those sorts of things. And, um, and, and, and a fire, by the way, could alter the, um, car, you know, the carbon content of the shroud to begin with. Right. But, but yeah, so they, that, that was actually to that, overtly say what we're, so it could affect the carbon dating, the carbon dating. Yeah. Of, right. Overtly right. Say right. What, we're, so, what we're saying real quick. I'll, can I go into that real quick? Yeah, go for it. There's in, just so much to, in 1978, Sturt did a lot of research on it. And, but in 1988, uh, uh, Pope John Paul II gave permission for scientists to take pieces of the cloth and carbon date them in order to find out where when it's from, right? Um, he gave them permission to take multiple sections of the cloth, yeah, but they yeah. only took three small sections and then cut those and three the, small all sections, all from the same place, and cut those three small sections up and sent them out to all these different scientists, right? And mm-hmm. uh, Wait, back up. It was really one section that they cut into three. Yeah. Like it wasn't three different places. Right. It they, place. they, they tried to not affect the cloth too much. So they, they took, they took it all from one spot. Right. And, uh, they, they did all this research and they carbon dated and placed it back in the, in the uh, medieval times. And it was like, they said, well, this is, this is it. So in 1988, they released an article saying that the shroud was a hoax. It right. Was that was all fake. It was old. only 800 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's what most people remember of the it's shroud. what most people remember. But in 2000, uh, a scientist got a hold of, the, uh, of those samples. You talking about Dr. Fonte's studies? I, I think so. I think so. Uh, that sounds familiar. Sounds right, Scott. Sounds right, Scott. Yeah, we're going with it. <laughs> we're going to say that. Uh, but he was looking closely at the cloth and discovered that it was uh, a, a medieval French weaving technique that was used in that spot, oh, no. and it contained one. cotton, gum, and dye. And he was like, this isn't what the rest of this cloth is made of. And so yeah. it's, they, they did some comparisons and found out that that section that the scientists used to carbon date it was actually a repaired section but of in, the of the entire shroud it was a repaired section but in france they have this me- they had this method in the middle ages of like invisible weaving quote unquote like yeah. not not that it's like you know ooh invisible but like it's so well done you you can't tell that they changed anything they changed it and so it was actually newer fibers in the in that part of yeah. the shroud because they had repaired it and this would actually be like the last, the, like the fifth topic I would have covered for for the shroud. But the um, the the actual no, no, I don't mean to <laughs> cast dispersions. Um, the the weave of the actual shroud is in a herringbone structure that is specific to Pal- first century Palestine and is very unusual to find anywhere else. Not to mention the pollen grains and stuff that we can you know talk about later uh as we go on if, if i mean if we even make it that far like you're seeing you there's so much to talk about with this shroud. <laughs> like, this may be just part one who knows um but so the painting um scientists uh different investigations have tried different ways to try to recreate the shroud right the image on the shroud um and uh, one of the one of the most, I think the way that people are like, oh, it's just done by this. Uh, the the 
the tip the traditionally held way that the hoax was done right so to speak is that it was done by a bas relief are y'all familiar with like what a bas relief is is that like photography it's well it's an ancient technique well you know middle age technique right that's why it would make sense if it's a middle age hoax middle ages hoax um, medieval hoax but um, basically you would take the cloth and wrap it over like a statue oh, or statues. you know some kind of plaster whatever reproduction of a man or even a cadaver right and what you do is you treat the cloth with um, some uh, acid mixture you know because the acid etching of the cloth mm -hmm. uh, and then you heat it right and you bake it um, like, and that creates an image similar to the shroud. Um, but there's a really big difference there is that it penetrates through the whole fiber basically because it's acid. I mean, it's an, it's a liquid treatment. So, I mean, the whole, the whole cloth becomes soaked in this acid. Cool. Colby, were you saying something? I said it just absorbs it. It wouldn't just yeah. absorb it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also um, that kind of treatment would lead to, um, you know, degradation of the fibers, which, you know, the shroud is remarkably well-preserved, kind of like Our Lady of Guadalupe is, despite a fire, you know, taking place next to it, things like that. So, uh, and I'll uh, provide either in the article I write, attach this, or in the show notes, but um, this is uh, Dr. Uh, De Lazaro's study. Um, from 2015, and he basically um, catalogs all the various ways that the Shroud of Turin has been, ha um, attempts have been made at replicating the image on the Shroud, and all the different ways that they fail uh, to emulate the actual image on the Shroud. But what um, uh, D. Lazaro, um, Dr. D. Lazaro, he's, he's working at the ENEA Laboratory Center, um, which is a pretty prestigious medical uh, or uh, scientific facility. And he was able to, uh, this is pretty amazing. He was able to um, recreate the image on the shroud, a shroud image, like at that very micrometer thin uh, depth of the fiber. Um, but to do so, uh, required a huge amount of energy he basically what he did was he used a laser uh, you know a harnessing of electromagnetic radiation to create this image and he was only able to create a very small image and to do just that took 750 megawatts of electricity or of of power i should say not necessarily electricity scott what is 750 megawatts <laughs> Give us a point of comparison. Yeah. yeah so I actually looked that up. Um, now, um, there may be other videos you'll see where it's like uh, the Dallas Cowboy Stadium. Like if all the lights go on, that might be 750 megawatts. But one megawatt of electricity, all right, in a coal-burning fire plant, uh, the, the equivalence is enough energy to power 650 households for one year. All right. <laughs> so that's 650 uh, households worth of energy. Right. Times 750, right? Right. 
750 megawatts, and that's to create a very small image. Right. So what Dr. Uh, DeLazaro determined is that, yes, he can recreate the image in small form, but that the equipment and energy does not exist in this world to create the size of image that the shroud represents, even with modern technology. So, so it was made by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously it was made by some medieval artist, right? You know, <laughs> but with all the technology that they had. Yeah. You know, with, all you know, water, that. water turbines and alongside rivers turning, you know, Make, turning the millstone to grind flour and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what else could do that but the power of God, right? <laughs> like, this, if there's any specific point or a piece of evidence of the Shroud of Turin that shows, um, that can prove the resurrection or that something um, super unprecedented obviously supernatural happened in that tomb right and that cannot be re replicated by human means and it's not i mean this jesus um this is biblical right but even though they don't describe you know the flash of power that um uh revivified revivified christ's body you know, in scripture, they talk about the way um, his body was illumined at the transfiguration, right? Sure. You know, there, there is precedent for, for this. And it's, it's interesting because it's not, um, you know, it's not just like power shooting from his eyes or something like from his soul, but it's from his whole body, right? Front and back, um, because the shroud wraps not just his front, you know, the, the shroud's like a long, thin piece of cloth that like the first half would be his front and the back, uh, the second half would be his, um, his backside. Um, and what, I mean, what, what do y'all have to say about that? It's kind of a loss for words kind of moment. Right. You know? right. I mean, I, I was struck in one of the things I was looking at and reading about, um, how basically that we know that a characteristics of Christ's body is that it can glow because of the transfiguration, you know, right. and that was not his non-resurrected body. Right. So, given the qualities that his resurrected body had, you can only imagine like what it's capable of in terms of luminescence, you know, and, and yeah, bioluminescence. Right. <laughs> and what the, the process of going from, dead body to resurrected body you know it's it's perfectly reasonable to think that would have given off light you know and and therefore could have produced an image like this you know yeah and, and what did jesus say about you know he said i'm the resurrection and life but you know at the beginning of john's gospel right the light came into the world yeah. I mean, right. it's literal you know i'm the light of the world yeah. Well, and also, isn't there something but, about like when the Son of Man returns, like it'll be like the light shining from? Uh, th this is me not knowing my scripture as well as I should. But you know what I'm talking about, like something about the light shining as the light shines from the. We're gonna look this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely the one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Right. 
You know, he's got to have the clouds of heaven because you'd be blinded if it, there were clouds weren't obstructing the view of the right. light. Right. Okay, here we go. Oh, it says lightning. This is me not knowing my scripture as well as I should. Um, for as lightning comes from the east and is visible to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man oh, be. Yes. So, yeah. referring to the second coming, but flash, yeah. flash of light. I mean, think. I mean, think of the at Hiroshima, right? The um, the the light that is emitted, um, you know, after the concussion. No, before the concussion wave and nuclear blast. And this was Hiroshima, which is like you know minuscule in the amount of power compared to um, a, a hydrogen bomb, you know, or even you know today's atom bombs. But oh, hey. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's what we've been dealing with Loki. <laughs> oh, we've been talking. <laughs> but uh, you know, at Hiroshima, you had the shadows of people um, burned, etched into the structures that were left standing. You know, right. they were vaporized, but their shadow was etched into. It. So, I mean, just imagine this power that we're talking about is on that scale, possibly even greater. Greater, yeah. Like I feel sorry for that tomb, right? <laughs> And that explains how the stone got removed, you know. <laughs> just <laughs> and I, um, I should say, just on a personal note, before we go um, uh, even deeper into the image analysis, this, like the Shroud of Turn, has been very special to me. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up um, going to church a lot, or even you know, in high school. Uh, you know, I wasn't always a believer, um, but every chance I got to do a research paper, you know, from like elementary school, middle school, high school, it was always on the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> like, um, it, it was, it, it had its claws in me, yeah. you know, from a, from a, like, I could never, it, it just, um, it's so, it caught my imagination and it stuck with me uh through thick and thin and so that's this you know it's a very special topic for me yeah. and what's that i just said yeah oh yeah yeah and and you know and and i i'm i have a funny background you know maybe an unusual background yes it's i'm a like window um, blind scott <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a godforsaken lawyer, right? But apart from that, you know, the, the theology background, but I, my, uh, my college career started with a background in the hard sciences, right? Chemical engineering. And <laughs> from where? So much, what? From where? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why would y'all remind him? Like, we could have gone without it. He was avoiding it, it seemed. I was trying to beat him to the punch. <laughs> the that makes sense. Fighting Texas Aggie University of capital T, Texas. There you go. Collective yeah. grown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the science aspect of religion and, and ways that science can be, or that religion can be scientifically proven, right? That we have evidence for different um, events of, of, in scripture. That has always been fascinating to me. So, um, the shroud especially. So Yeah. I mean... After, I'm sorry, Colby, were you going to say something? No. Oh, After, say something similar, not quite as specific as Scott, but yeah, oh. uh, during my conversion, 
the different books that people share with me about physical evidence of faith that the Catholic Church has been either connected to or has ownership of uh, throughout history. They don't know. I never had any type of, uh, you know, relative grasp about that growing up in the, the faith community that I was in. Mm-hmm. Or none of my friends had any similar experiences. And so, well, I mean, one of my major conversions was reading the book Eucharistic Miracles by Joan Carroll Cruz. And it was just weird. Like, except like a physical, because we talk about Christ being incarnate, and right, the church is a, is a real thing, but like a, an actual physical, evidential thing you can touch and see and smell and, and, yeah. and be around. It was just, yeah, it was, that's what grabbed me to, to want to know more. Because um, we're corporal beings, and so experiencing faith in and through our senses is is the way god calls us to himself yeah uh, and so yeah i can i can share your sentiment about just being attached to to something corporal yeah yeah i thought one of the uh one of the really the the, the best quotes that i read when when doing some research on the shroud is from uh, john walsh uh he, in 1963 he said the shroud of turin is either the most awesome and an instructive relic of jesus christ in existence or it is one of the most ingenious, most unbelievably clever products of the human mind and hand on record. It is one or the other. There is no middle ground. Right. So either it's like this really amazing work of art uh, that can't be re- replaced, or but yeah. it's a fraud, or it is the most important relic of Jesus Christ that we have. <laughs> yeah. So that, I thought that was pretty awesome. I was like, whoa. And there's no in between, which no reminded between. me of C.S. Lewis's like either he's crazy, either Jesus is crazy, he's lying, or he's God. God, yeah. And there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's such a, and that's what's so interesting is that the Sturp team contained a lot of atheists. Yeah, um, like Barry Schwartz, who does, who runs Shroud.com, and his, well, I'll put his uh, TEDx talk, uh, a link to that in the show notes, but it took him. Um, 20 years, he was one of the photographers uh, of the Sturp team. He was a technical photographer. Um, and it took him a long time. And I'll share with you when we get to the blood part and then, you know, circle back to what Colby's saying with Eucharistic Miracles and the Shrav Turns connection to those. Um, the, the last piece of evidence that it took Barry Schwartz um, to be con- convinced of the Shroud's authenticity, which is... I don't know. Oh man, that's, that's a, that'll be a a difficult topic to talk about the blood because it's, it just shows so much of the signs of torture that the man of the shroud endured. Right. Um, there's a couple other, um, pretty amazing, uh, um, discoveries that have come from image analysis of the shroud. Um, there, uh, basically two things first there's they've discovered a death certificate that encased uh, Jesus's face uh, which it's you know you'll hear I, I heard somebody I heard Barry Schwartz say today you're not going to be able to find on the shroud Jesus of Nazareth here's my dental records here's my you know like the uh, DNA or even DNA evidence but you can, which is crazy. But anyway, um, the death certificate, which gives both time, date, name, um, and uh, I can I wish I could show screen, but to show you the image, um, I'll include in the show notes. But the 
the the writing that was found with it's the image technique is called the tool is called a micro densitometer, which is able to find you know very very faint impressions left in the cloth, uh, and and this this death certificate it reveals um, the let's see do I have I don't have the lady's name unfortunately that um, has reconstructed the text of it, but um, this is what the there's maybe 10 words left on the death certificate. And this is the reconstruction of what we think it said. Um, in the year 16 of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, Yahshua the Nazarene taken down in the early evening after having been condemned to death by a Roman judge because he was found guilty by a Hebrew authority is hereby sent for burial with the obligation of being consigned to his family only after one full year. <laughs> That's an incredible amount of data to yeah. be found. <laughs> I mean, that's. Um, I feel like you have to see the 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 writing um, to be able to um, appreciate this. So we'll show. We'll have the image uh, posted as well. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Which I, mean, I had never heard of the the head covering. Until yeah. today, when the we were yeah. right, yeah, which, yeah, that will get to that. Um, then that's what I'm doing next is the blood with the the head covering of Oviedo. Okay, um, and, and we're gonna but, cover the redness of the blood. Yes, yeah, that's what the redness is. What the explanation for the redness is what convinced Barry Schwartz, right? Uh, um, Doctor Alan Adler. Both of these guys are Jews, right? Um, one practicing. Um, the foremost expert on blood is the one that that told the story behind the Bill of Reuben, uh, which we'll get to in just a second. Just one last um, thing that they've found on Jesus's face using image analysis, and that's the two coins uh, that which covered I his eyes. Yeah. I had right. never heard about that before today. Yeah. Which and you know, and some people are like, "Well, that just that just lends credence to the idea that it's a hoax because a Jew." would never want to pay uh you know the 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 fair for to charon the the ferryman of greco-roman mythology you know to take him you know across the river Styx. you know like that that mm -hmm. everybody but that's us um that's you know 21st century uh everybody just assumes that you put tokens over the eyes um to uh, to pay the ferryman of the dead right yeah um, but that's funny because I've never heard of it before. So you're like, uh, you've never heard of it? You've never seen the Boondock Saints? Oh, yeah. The Boondock I'm, I'm going to have to yeah. say, I, I, I did not show yeah, her no. those. So <laughs> it was a joke. Uh, For good reason. Number one is much better than number two. <laughs> and we do not recommend anyone watching. We do not recommend to go see those movies. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I just so thought it was funny. You're like, everyone knows. So much cussing. <laughs> so much. Boondock Saints and diversity of the world. Yeah, certainly illustrates the diversity of them. <laughs> what oh. color was it? Talking about the blood. <laughs> Speaking of color, so we did have a question in the comments. Maria asked, are we going to talk about the wine stains? Oh, the, the tablecloth theory? I haven't found a lot of scientific studies or evidence to confirm that, so I wasn't going to talk about that. But um, just real quick, and, and I'll circle back to the coins on the eyes. Um, uh, the ancient Roman tradition, um, 
and, uh, like the ancient Roman church's tradition was that um, the altar cloths, uh, like not just the altar linens, like the corporal, but the altar cloth itself had to be long enough uh, that it extended to the floor on either side of the altar. And the reason for that, according to the Roman tradition, was so that it would be the length needed to be a burial shroud. Okay, so now you've got to kind of extrapolate from that. Why would they have made a connection between the altar linen, between the altar cloth, and a burial cloth? And what you, you know, one line of thinking, one theory is that, well, because they knew about the shroud, because the shroud was, you know, obviously one of the greatest relics of the early church mm -hmm. and would have been preserved by the early church, and that's why we have it to this day. But that um, the first altar cloth of Christianity being the cloth that was used to cover the table at the Last Supper, right, that was then used as a burial shroud for Jesus, which makes sense because if, they, if the apostles were listening and were also clumsy, <laughs> they would have realized that any wine spilt on that cloth, which is the natural function an altar cloth is to collect um, would have been, this is my body. This is my blood. Right. And they would have um, preserved it and, and, and um, reverenced it and kept it alongside the blood that was still pouring forth from, from Christ. So that's the theory behind that. Uh, I haven't found where any, I haven't found a scientific study where they have said there's wine stains present. Mm. Uh, you know, or any kind of study that's able to connect the particular vintage of the wine, you know, like the particular species of grape or whatever to a Palestinian wine, you know, that I just haven't found that data, but that, I'm not saying it's not out there. Right. Um, but it's definitely interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is and interesting. I think, I think we forgot to say when we were talking about the head covering. Right. Of course, which of course in scripture, it specifically says like that, that there was yeah. a shroud and then on the other end of the tomb was the head covering like, you know bunched up so we it's know there john were uh 20 or yeah john chapter 20 verse 7 yeah, yeah. of course um, <laughs> exactly <laughs> um i just i had in my notes <laughs> so but i had no idea that there's a cloth in spain that's revered as the as the head covering of christ which you were talking about a minute ago mm -hmm. but that the stains on it match perfectly with stains on the shroud that like there's there they take the two images and they lay them over each other right and you know and it's crazy there's a great video that i'll link to um from father robert spitzer one of the good jesuits uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh that talks this is the um this is the i've been calling it the shroud of ovieto but it's the sudarium of Ovieto. Yeah. Um, sudarium is Latin for sweat cloth. Okay. Now, this is not to be confused. Crowd sounds nicer. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to be confused with Veronica's veil, right? Right. Um, that, so that's a separate thing. And if you actually see that image that's brought out like once a year and held up by the priest, it's, it's so darkened by soot that you can't even tell what's on it anymore. The, uh, the, this head covering, all right, the Sudarium of Ovieto, um, it's, it's been analyzed. 
like Mary said, it's been um, placed. It's overlapping with the Shroud of Turin. And on the front, um, they have found 70 points of congruence. And on the back, they have found 50 points of congruence. All right. These are um, uh, patternless, uh, you know, random blood stains. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, it, the odds of that happening accidentally right. on both the front and the back. Right, because it would have to be the right circumference of the skull, right? The calvarium, Mount Calvary, whatever, um, that it to match up that that well. I mean, it's just it's just impossible for these two items not to be intrinsically historically connected. <laughs> now, what's more is um, they they've also studied the blood that the sudarium collected, like in the cloth. And this is sad to talk about, but um, so they, when they're taking down a body, you know, from the cross or moving a body, you know, that maybe it's just the body, somebody's just been murdered and they're removing the body. They cover the body in a head cloth, you know, for the dignity of the person, but also for the family, that they don't have to see how the person's been beaten and how their face looks. Um, but in that movement, when you move a body like that, um, there's a, a, a plural effusion and edema, um, blood coming from the lungs, right? And the, the bloody interstitial places in the lungs, you know, just comes out the nose. And so that's where, if you look at an image of the sudarium, it's like blood coming like this out. Why would there have been a, uh, a, a second cloth around the face? So this... This well, this would have been the first cloth, right? Like this would have covered the face, and then it would have been wrapped. Uh, then the the shroud would have been wrapped around. Why would they put a cloth over the face? To to hide the face. Ah, well, uh, I was asking. I was hoping, I was trying to set you up. Uh, I know, I know. I just wasn't picking read, up on <laughs> what I was supposed to do. With it. Was uh, it, it said that uh, they would wrap the face uh, in order to carry it from uh, from. He said that. Oh. You did? I missed <laughs> that part. Cody's saying hi to everybody. Hi! On Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Like in the comments. I'm not, we'll say so it. They, unless so I'm they wrong. Carried, they carried... No, reaffirm that carried, point. Uh, they wrapped just the face to carry him from the cross to the tomb um, and to bury him. But one of the purposes of it was to make sure that he was no longer breathing. He was no longer respirating. So oh, no, I didn't cover that it, part. It would assure that the lungs had stopped yeah. breathing. My bad. So that that was where I was going with that. Because it would become they obvious. Their leg, they stab him in the side and they suffocate him. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking <laughs> of the stabbing the side, I, Scott, you're probably going to get to that one, right? The the this. I yeah, I saw some stuff on, but I yeah, I don't know if I had to get to it or not. Okay. Well. We no, but get, but yeah, the the shape of the spear point. Well, not just the shape, but the uh, the fact that the uh, on the shroud itself, there's more. Um, of, a, of an image in that, that, that area, right? If you look at the, the shroud, the anatomy, it's all anatomically correct and all that good right. stuff, right? They've had several doctors looking at this and it's anatomically correct. And the um, forensic pathologists have shown that the blood splatter is correct. The blood yeah. splatter is correct. But the piercing in the side, right? When, when they pierce Jesus' side, there is blood and there is clear separation of another liquid, Yes. Right there in that spot. Hmm. 
<sighs> wow. The blood and water that flowed from his sides. I, I was just like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. And we're just coming off of Divine Mercy Sunday, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just and and so um, and Colby mentioned uh, Eucharistic miracles, you know, uh, like Lanciano. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all the Eucharistic miracles, um, the uh, Shroud of Oviedo, the uh, and the Shroud of Turin, um, all present all have the same blood type, right? Yeah. A B. A B. So this the the hoax, uh, the guy who hoaxed all this, <laughs> who falsified all this in the Middle Ages, also had advanced knowledge of blood types. Right? We we didn't figure out blood types until like the nineteen hundreds. Is it I think Libby was the guy um uh, that discovered blood types. So this medieval forger was very smart (laughs) and he also coordinated the forging of all these relics right and all these eucharistic miracles it was a a coordinated effort yeah a vast conspiracy (laughs) i mean i've had dozens of blood tests over the last two years and i still know my blood type (laughs) i don't either i know mine but just because it's b positive so Uh, that's like uh, really yeah, <laughs> rim shot. <laughs> the um, but AB's universal donor, right? Oh, negative is universal donor. So what's AB? I think AB is just one of the more rare types. It's like one of the most rare types you can have. Because I was thinking it was universal donor too, and I looked it up, and it said, "Oh, it was universal donor." That makes sense um, because there's it has no you know bacteria hanging off of it that would prevent that would interact with other blood cells but right um so yeah we have a consistent blood typing for all these uh miraculous artifacts yeah uh, it's really awesome if it was universal donor that would really i know and that's what i always <laughs> had heard but yeah i know i no. had too so you could drink his blood but we can't transfuse it that's weird come on <laughs> I saw this this tweet on Facebook. Um, I saw this tweet on Facebook of um, that a woman was writing like my daughter to the next door neighbor. Do you know Jesus? Well, no, I don't really know much about. And the daughter cuts her off. It's like sometimes we drink his blood. <laughs> and then the neighbor, it says like neighbor, and it's that meme of like that puppet going like, you know, yeah, about? like puppet like, eyes, side eye, yeah. yeah. So I was like, I could totally see my kids doing that. I could see any of our kids doing that. <laughs> I hope they would. That's pretty awesome. Speak of the devil. She's, she calls to us. Cody. So, uh, and I don't, I want to spend a, just a second more on John 20 verse seven. Um, because it, it, that's such a interesting note. Um, I guess into, I don't want to say Jesus's OCD aspects, right? <laughs> but that he took the time after his resurrection, before leaving the tomb, to put the the head cloth, where he rolled it up, he rolled it, the scripture r- describes him rolling up the head cloth, putting it in one place, and then folding the shroud, the the um, burial shroud, the shroud of Turin, um, in a separate place. Okay, so I. You know, I just love I just love that quiet moment in the tomb on Easter morning where Christ is doing this. You know, it makes me think about that quiet moment after 
the representation of the crucifixion and sacrifice of the altar where the the priest is going about the altar cleaning right. um, fixing the linens you know it's that is stunning to me that 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 little insight that yeah. we're given in that in that scripture and then there's also a historical aspect of that because it's thought um and let me say the word now before i forget mandelian um of odessa the image of odessa um the shroud for most of its history was folded so that you only saw the face okay so um this is interesting because you have this relic oh and also we haven't even talked about the dating of ovieto is to 616 a.d all right which there's clear historical provenance to that and it, the way it connects to the Shroud of Turin, you have dating at least back to 616 through Ovieto, all right, and provenance. But the Mandelian image of Edessa, um, I think it's dating from like the 300s at least. It's it's a painted image. It's believed to be um, an, a painted image of the Shroud. Like a lot of, um, I think that people might confuse this being a separate image altogether. Like, oh, these these crazy Christians just making up all these images and you know that if you collected all the different pieces of the, that are said to be part of the true cross, you'd have like eight tons of wood on your hands, you know, something like that. Right. But that the Mandelian isn't just some other random, um, uh, burial cloth, but it confirms the historical existence of the shroud and that it was kept folded because Jesus folded it in the tomb. Which that's just—I mean—it's just crazy, awesome stuff. Well, yeah, for most of its history, it was kept folded, and that's why the burn patterns match it as being folded. Yeah. So it's neat you say that because we talk about Jesus as a high priest, and it's like I said, taking care of the yeah. altar. Um, yeah. Little side note, but one of the reasons I have a, a really strong affection for my home parish, as Father Ledoux is the the pastor here. And he's known for being very, um, very meticulous with preparing and cleaning the chalices after communion, right? Mm. Like, it's almost like he takes as much time cleaning the chalices and putting things away as he does preparing to put them out. Yeah. And I love it. Like, because to me, you can see, like, as a priest, he's, he's very intentionally, like, no, like, this is a reverent moment. And, you know, even though the, the body of Christ is has been consumed already. Like these are sacred vessels and, uh, it makes you think of a Paul, right? We talk about, we call the Paul, the little thing you put on top of the chalice. Um, we, and it's a very or a coffin, right? Or coffin, right. That's what I was getting to. Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> People that carry a casket, uh, are Paul bearers, right? Cause you, you are bearing the, the physical covering, you know, of something sacred. And so not that Christ was his own Paul bearer by wrapping up his own shroud, but, uh, you know the the sacredness of what was covering him, and you know the the reference that he put himself into it, so that the disciples can recognize, like, oh wait, this is something sacred. We probably should keep it. Uh, it's funny though, because I have friends that complain about Father would do say, man, it takes too long to, to clean the chalices. I'm like, that's a, that's your moment to really appreciate and recognize, like, the reverence that he has for it. Right, the significance of the moment. Exactly, yeah, the significance. Yeah, the recognition of the true presence. Mm -hmm. and, and reliving that 
the quiet that came after Christ was taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb. You know, the quiet where the earth was still because the son of God had descended, not just from the cross, but into Sheol and, you know, the light had gone out of the world. And so had the noise, you know, and I'm just thinking about how, like, after birth, like how it's just incredible how like the, the the joy and the relief and the like the peace and the like I'm using like a lot that just that it's incredible exactly. it's, <laughs> you, you've just been through this this thing that was like oh this was a terrible idea why did we ever agree to this you know and then suddenly it's like everything is wonderful like everything is fantastic like like they bring you tea and you're like, this is the best tea I've ever drank in my entire life. That may be an overly specific example, but um, <laughs> it happened. Uh, I mean, it did happen. It did happen. <laughs> the point being that I can only imagine that for Christ, like having suffered, died, descended to Sheol, and then here he is in the tomb by himself, having resurrected. That there's, I've never thought about it before, but that there's, there's got to be some to talk about. But what's happening? There's got to be some sense of like relief and peace, and joy, and you know, I don't know. And or and people talk about the silence after a great battle, right? Yeah, right. And he just conquered yeah. sin and death. Hmm. I mean, the greatest battle ever won, ever fought. Yeah. yeah he it's just sat there for like a few minutes and was just like, "That's what I'm picturing." Is him being like, yeah. "This is my last chance to kind of chill and." <laughs> Kind take of, a few moments before I go back out there. And kind of let sink in what just happened. And, you know. It's like that moment at, after the Easter Vigil Mass where, you know, they've got the ice cream and all the Lenten sacrifices piled up in the parish hall and you're just, you know, the waiting. The parish hall is way cooler. <laughs> They're like, and everybody go home. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. It's be your bedtime. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so we've definitely moved into the territory of the blood, right? Oh, uh, and all of this, you know, what we we're building on earlier in the year with the real presence podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this, this is just building on that. Um, but the, the bill of Reuben, um, so Barry Schwartz, um, which I had mentioned before, he was the photographer, of the Shroud of Turn as part of the STIRP research team. STIRP, Shroud of Turn Research Project. S-T and then, you know, U for turn. Anyway, um, he was unconvinced that the Shroud was real because... <laughs> We're just like Colby just like levitated off of the screen. And Joseph Cupertino. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magic... The Shroud is a magic carpet. Never, yeah. never mind. <laughs> Never mind. All right. We um, didn't say that. <laughs> Anyone who says we said that is crazy. That didn't happen. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, Barry Schwartz, um, the reason he was unconvinced for 20 years after taking part in the, the STIRP team uh, was that when you look at the shroud, the red uh, from the blood stains, the, the blood stains are red. And mm-hmm. anytime you look at... Um, some uh you know a cloth or clothes you know 
if the O.J. Simpson glove, you know, had been leather, if you would have seen old blood, it'd be dark. It'd be like it would turn black or brown. Um, yeah. And, right. And, the, and that it was red was like an instant indicia of forgery for Barry Schwartz. Like, how could it be red? That's that only if you painted it. Right. Right. So. Um, but. And he flipped. <laughs> <laughs> but um it's actually much deeper than that um barry schwartz was talking to dr alan adler who was um on the stirp team as well uh pretty much the world's foremost authority on hematology right on on blood and he said uh to barry uh it's like that because the blood contained huge amounts of bilirubin, uh, a very high content of bilirubin um, that that's contained on the shroud. And the only way you get, uh, it also contained a lot of creatinine in, in, in the blood as well. And the only way that happens is if some, somebody has suffered severe trauma, polytrauma, like as from being beaten uh, in Gethsemane, uh scourged uh you know the road to calvary that what happens is uh, your your liver basically explodes yeah. and and adds these things to the bloodstream and and blood that has that has been produced in this way will be red forever uh, that's and, insane. yeah and that's what we see in the shroud that uh, i mean it just it's evidence of what he went through Right. Yeah. That's what was incredible to me reading this stuff about the shroud today was was the fact that there's so much evidence for its authenticity in, in spite of the fact that the, the the only thing people remember is the fallacious carbon dating, you right. know, but there's so much evidence for its veracity and at the same time the fact that it itself is so much evidence for the depth of Christ's suffering, you know, like it corroborates scripture, it it also takes scripture almost a step further, you know, to, to show us like how, how awful it was. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and we never, um, uh, to circle back to the coins on the eyes. Uh, oh, yeah. Did we never finish that? Yeah. There's more to it, which is incredible. Um, okay. So, and I need to kind of, leave the blood topic for a moment and come back. Cause it's just, you know, it's, it's very touching. Okay. So we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to do a part two. Is it an hour already? Yeah. I'm surprised oh, too. Man. I didn't think it was. <laughs> oh man. I'm very surprised. Well, uh, let's see. You want, um, choose what's most some... important. You have 30 you. seconds, Scott. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I think my liver just exploded. <laughs> Oh, bad joke. Bad. Um, so the coins uh, that they found uh, images, uh, uh, through image analysis, they found the imprint of these coins on Jesus' eyes. And um, they, the coin, it's a Roman lepton. And based on there's uh, several different points of, of congruence, but also you can make out the shape on the coin. Um, this particular 
Bitcoin was, uh, they can tell, like coin collectors have um, ex extant examples to compare it to. It was a coin minted, only minted in Palestine in the first century by Pontius Pilate. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? That's, I mean, that's amazing. It's almost as if this thing is real. <laughs> yeah. Um, so real, uh, real quick to go over the other dating techniques. Um, so Dr. We're, we're Raymond Rod. We're all married, so the dating scene is not quite. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is for all our single peeps. <laughs> <laughs> all the single Catholic. All the single ladies. So there's, uh, besides carbon-14 dating, there's multiple other ways you can uh, date, uh, date fabric. <sighs> now I got the whole going on a date with a piece of fabric thing. Like <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> you, um, there's the vanillin test, which is a compound. Uh, it might be like an ester or something that's found in, in lemons and other fruits like that, and it degrades over time. Mm -hmm. um, so you're able to tell... That's that the vanillin test is, dates the shroud back to at least before 800 AD. Um, you've got uh, IR spectroscopy. This is Fourier transform IR spectroscopy, which is basically you excite the molecules um, in uh, from pieces from the fibers of the shroud and and comparative fibers from a similar period in time. Um, the the um, the electrons will excite in a in the same kind of graph. Um, you you can compare the graphs side by side, and so uh, it passes that test as well, the spectroscopy test. Um, there's another one also. It's the Raman laser spectroscopy test. Both of these were done by Dr. Fonti, and I'll link to his studies um, below. He also did a uh, tension and compressibility test, like a mechanical test on the cloth that can also reveal its age uh, when compared to, you know, cloths of similar antiquity and provenance or believed to be. So, yeah, the, and then the, the pollen would be the last aspect. <clears throat> the, there's amazing convergence between the pollen found and the Ovieto shroud and the Shroud of Turin that you've got four types of pollen that are only found in Jerusalem and not found anywhere else in the world more north than northern Israel uh, that are found in the shroud. Uh, so basically you can reconstruct the history of the shroud from its pollen uh, grains left right. in, on it. It also um, had pollen from Constantinople or Istanbul or Byzantium, you know, because the shroud historically was known to pass through there on its way to France and Italy. Um, so it, I mean, this medieval forger was very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I, I mean, he took his cloth to Palestine, let it sit there for some time, get woven by the, you know, and then he took the, he retraced the, the shrouds travels through Europe. That's crazy. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. And did we say that the weave of the fabric, I think is like first century Jerusalem. Yeah. The three to one ratio of the herringbone. Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. By the way, just in case some people don't know, what does provenance mean when you keep saying that? 
Oh yeah, my bad. Yeah. That's why I'm watching <laughs> Antiques Roadshow too much. I <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not something. Uh, um, I probably lose my man card for admitting that, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just historical. And here I, I'm going to say indicia because that's what we say. Um, historical data points that okay. you know you're able to corroborate it with other pieces of um, of history. Uh, you have you know provenance is usually proven by a letter. Like if you're trying to prove a, a lock of hair came from Abraham Lincoln, you know, you might have a, a letter from Mary Todd Lincoln to, you know, some person that wrote to Lincoln. And then you can trace right. the, the chain of custody all the way back to present day. Like points where where it's pres where its location is known, kind of? Right. And either independently corroborated or you have, you know, historical writings that reference it. Cool. Hope it's been good. Hate to cut it short, but uh. Well, before we go, though, we have a really big announcement to make. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Everybody, I, hold on to your hat. Everybody, hold on to your hats. Go get your spouses <laughs> from the other room. And, uh, hold on to your head cloths. Don't wake up your children, please. Don't wake up your children. Uh, so, the Catholic nerds have decided <coughs> we're going to do something really cool or insane or insane <laughs> really nerdy um or really stupid we haven't decided yet um however here's what it is here's what it is on may the 10th wait but not may the 10th because that's mother's day <laughs> i still had the um oh dang we should have talked about this before. <laughs> we did talk we about, did it. Talk about <laughs> this. Repeatedly. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways. In our How we're terrible children don't know Mother's Day? Yeah, right? All right. Well, I guess we're not doing it May 10th. We're not doing it May 10th. But However, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. In the near future, <laughs> so keep up with us on the Catholic Nerds page. In the near future, we are going to be, go going to be doing a marathon. Of the Lord of the Rings movies. Da, da, da. And now what we mean when we say that is <laughs> we will be live streaming us watching the Lord of the Rings movies because that's not illegal. Now here's the thing that might sound super boring, but you can watch it at the same time as us. We'll keep saying where we are in the movies yeah. and every now and then we'll be giving commentary. So it'll be like director's commentary only from, from us. us. And we're going to have several special guests join us yes. uh, throughout the marathon. Uh, some um, experts on the Lord of the Rings. Uh, some, the, some previous some guests. Some previous guests from, from our podcast. And, uh, it's go and maybe some new guests. Who knows? Who might Anything join us? Could Anything could happen. Big it's going to be twelve up. to thirteen hours. We <laughs> don't even know, but it's going to happen in the near future. Uh, so keep up with us on Catholic Nerds. Once we pick a date, we'll let you know. And uh, we are going to be watching the extended cut uh, because apparently the non-extended cut cut just isn't worth it. Uh, worth it. So uh, that is our big announcement today. To uh, recap marathon watching all of the lord of the rings movies Boom. together with you Boom. tell your friends and your grandmother and yeah your grandmother. and your grandmother 
And, and we're going to be posting screenshots of all the times that we discussed that it was going to be the 10th, and Scott didn't say that it was Mother's yeah. Day. Oh, yeah, and neither did Colby, by the way. Well, yeah, but Col <laughs> Colby didn't say it tonight. This Scott immediately knew it was yeah. Mother's Day. Well, no, the, the reason I, uh, Joseph, one of our special guests, who's probably listening right now and banging his head on the screen or something, uh, Joseph yeah. Devereaux, he, was, he, he emailed me and Cody and was like, no, not May 10th. <laughs> well, I didn't get that email. I I don't know what to say if there's any provenance to that historical um, okay. or not. Well, we'll be <laughs> unless we end up fighting to the death over over a date over Mother's Day. <laughs> but we won't do it on Mother's Day, guys. We're not, you know. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Sorry, Can't mom. Come over. I'm watching all the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm watching people watch all of the Lord of the Rings. That. Yeah, that, that one. Bad idea. Bad that idea. So we will figure out a new date, but we will post it, and uh, hopefully you guys will join us. Uh, and, and feel free to join us in the comments, uh, in the comment section, asking questions or saying things that you would like us to, to nerd out about. Um, make sure they to go like right our now. page on Catholic Nerds. Uh, make sure to listen to all of our podcasts. Uh, we are on uh, most podcast um Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Podbean. Yeah, check out our po previous podcasts and, uh, and and enjoy and let us know if there's anything that you'd like to nerd out about. And don't forget to check out our cool Catholic nerd clothes and accessories. Yes. At Teespring. They exist. There's, there's Catholic nerd there's leggings. There's leggings. <laughs> and onesies. I will only buy them if you wear them first, Cody. I, I tried. My wife wouldn't let me buy them. Oh. <laughs> they're like, yeah. They're Anyways, like, boom. Wait, there was one other thing I was going to say. I have another child screaming. I don't screaming. know what it was going to be. We have two children screaming. Be right there, Rose. Shoot. Okay, I don't know. All right. So, all right. Y'all have anything else y'all want to say? I'll uh, close us out if there's, and if there's nothing else. Perfect. Go for it. All right. Thank you for nerding out with us, the Catholic nerds. This is Scott Smith. And Colby. Mary Reed. And Cody Reed. Please do, as they said, subscribe to our podcast. Share with all your friends, Catholic or not, radio carbon dated or not. And <laughs> and remember, folks, only you can prevent medieval forgeries. Good night. <laughs> Please.